This is the Education Exchange. I am Paul Peterson, Senior Editor of Education Next. The Education Next annual poll has just released its findings on how parents viewed the response to the school closings forced by the COVID-19 pandemic. From a survey of over 1,300 parents of over 2,100 school-aged children and over 490 elementary and secondary school teachers. The survey was administered last May. I am pleased to chat today with Martin West, the William Henry Bloomberg Professor of Education at the Harvard Graduate School of Education, and who is the Editor-in-Chief of Education Next, about the poll uh, as it is being released. Uh, so Marty, thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange. It's great to be with you, Paul. Well, so Marty, a substantial majority of parents, 71%, say their children learned less than they would have had schools not moved online last spring. Yet 72% of the parents say they were satisfied with the instruction and activities which the schools provided. How can they be satisfied when their kids are learning less? It's a bit of a paradox, Paul, I'll admit, and that's how we start the essay that we wrote together with Mike Henderson and David Houston, we should mention. Is the glass half full or is the glass half empty? It's uh, certainly the case that a large majority of the American public reported both satisfaction and learning loss. And I think in order to try and understand that, you need to dig into what they actually experienced, how often students were hearing from their teachers, how often they were meeting with them, the nature of the work they were asked to do. Uh, and that's what our survey allows us to do. We had the great fortune this year of being in the position of conducting our annual survey at a time when the nation was experiencing the greatest disruption to K-12 education in our history. And so uh, being able to talk with a nationally representative sample of parents about what their children experienced is a unique opportunity. There's a lot of surveys floating around right now that uh, are purporting to provide evidence on this, but may or may not be truly representative. And so I think that's what makes our work a bit unique. Well, what's uh, interesting about this is that 74% of the parents said their child was being introduced to new content during the closure, and only 22% their child was just being exposed to what they had learned previous to the closure. That does seem to contradict some of the other conversation that's out there. What do you think is the truth in this matter? Well, there was a lot of concern early on that schools, when they closed, would simply focus on reviewing what students already had learned as opposed to introducing new content. Some guidance from states like here in Massachusetts initially directed schools to focus their attention on that. Um, and there are some reports from teachers that they focused more on reviewing as well. Um, I think, though, that the approach that schools took shifted over the course of the pandemic once it became clear that the closures were going to persist to the end of the school year. I know that's what happened here in Massachusetts. Despite an initial push to have schools focus on review, they changed course and the guidance that came out from the State Department of Education said to focus on priority standards that had not yet been introduced. And what we asked parents was, which better describes the overall remote learning program that your school offered? That's not the exact wording, but 
you know, we force them to choose one of these two options. And what we see, as you say, is that about three and four parents say that there was continued introduction of new content. But do parents really know? Do they really know what is happening at, at the school? And maybe they're just being optimistic here. Maybe they're putting the best face on it. Is this really rooted in a, in a, a good knowledge of what is happening at the school? That may or may not be the case. We do find that parents report that they're spending about two hours a day working and supporting their child's schoolwork. So they are getting a glimpse into what the students are working on. Um, but I, I mentioned earlier some data from teachers. I believe Education Week has reported in their teacher panel that teachers are saying they're covering less content, less new content than would have been the case had the schools closed. That can be true and you can still have a parent perceiving that most of what's going on here is introducing new content. But just here, let me shift to another one. There's 40% of the parents said their children had contact with their teachers on a one-to-one -one weekly basis. So on a weekly basis, less than half have a one-to-one -one contact of these children are having less than a one-to-one -one contact. That doesn't seem to me to be sufficient. Uh, how, how can a child be learning if they aren't actually in personal touch with their teacher at least once a week? Well, keep in mind that we asked about one-to-one -one meetings and also about the frequency of whole class meetings. And so the share that reported having whole class meetings on a relatively frequent basis uh, is considerably higher. So 17% said daily, 29% said several times a week, uh, another 24% said once a week. So about seven in 10 were having that type of interaction at least once a week. That was higher in upper grades, you know, high school and middle school as well. Um, so I think, you know, I yeah, also- Once a week, once a week, that's 72% are meeting once a week. And actually that's even higher than what the teachers say. I think only 55% 50, of the teachers say that they, oh, that, I'm sorry, that's, that's on assignment. 72% of the parents say their children had assignments, but 55% of the teachers said they were giving these assignments. Uh, uh, multiple times a week. It's a sort of a glass half full of glass half empty kind of question here. Wh wh which is it? Well, I think we have to be honest and say that we don't know what the optimal approach to remote instruction is. I know that some advice says that you uh, don't want to overdo it in terms of synchronous live instruction, especially with children who are young. Uh, and um, so I think we have to be honest about that, but there is one sign in the data that uh, parents at least would have appreciated more in the way of interaction, more in the way of assignments, more in the way of feedback. So uh, when we broke out the data and looked at how satisfied parents were if they had had those types of interactions more than once a week or less often, we saw that those who had more interaction were considerably more likely to say that they were very satisfied with the school's overall remote learning program. So for example, 35% of those parents who reported that their child received grades or other types of feedback from the teachers more than once a week, 35% of those parents were very satisfied. That falls to 21% for those uh, parents who reported receiving grades or feedback less often. And you see that same pattern across all of these indicators that we have of the intensity of 
the remote learning program. Well, yes, and I think I, that's really very interesting uh, information, and uh, that's a really important part of the report, I think, because to me that says it was really important for teachers to try to keep in contact with students, and some teachers did, and some families were in contact, but a lot of families were not. And that makes me a little concerned about as we're going forward into the fall. If we don't have teachers in contact with students and we're gonna have online instruction in a major way this coming fall, what does this mean for our educational system and for the learning that's taking place in our country? Well, I certainly hope that all children are going to be in schools or at least all those children whose parents are comfortable with, with them being in schools are going to have the opportunity to do that at least part-time, but uh, you're, you're right. Uh, if, you know, 70% or more of parents are reporting the child learning less, there's limited interaction. What I see in the data on the interaction, uh, the amount of interaction that we have, is just a huge amount of variation. So there were a large share of families who are having very limited interaction, very little asked of them in terms of required assignments, and receiving very little in the way of feedback on their work. And that is a serious concern that there's a substantial contingent of American students who are in that situation. Well, one of the unique features of this poll is that we get information from teachers and from parents and we can uh, see how they fit together. I think they both said that students were learning less um, and, and, and they were, you know, they were concerned about that. Um, but another very interesting part of the poll is that we, alone of all the polls that I've seen, maybe I'm missing something, uh, are able to look at the differences across district schools, charter schools, and private schools. And what I found interesting was that the charter schools said uh, their children were more likely to learn more and less likely to be uh, unhappy or, or think their child had learned less. Only 15% of charter school parents said their child had learned a lot less. While 30% of district parents said their child had learned a lot less. And 28% of private school parents said their child had learned a lot less. So how do we interpret this finding? I think there are a variety of indicators in the data that charter schools, and I would include private schools as well, were better able to make this transition to the new learning environment than were traditional school districts. Uh, you mentioned the data on lost learning where the charter schools really stand out. But if you also look at indicators like the frequency of interaction between teachers and students, uh, you know, that's another place where charter schools really uh, stand out. So fully 61% of the parents of charter school parents reported that their student was having one-on-one -on -one contact with the teacher at least once a week. That falls to 41% for private school students, 37% for district school students. And uh, if you look at the frequency of whole class meetings, uh, charter schools stand out there. If you look at the number of hours that parents report that their child is spending on schoolwork, that's another place here it's private schools that are at the top, four hours, charters are at 3.6, district schools only 3.4 hours daily. And so I do think across a range of the questions that we asked, uh, you see a more robust response in the 
charter school sector and in the private school sector. Yes, and I, it, you know, the question is, how do we interpret that? And I, I sort of think that if a charter school or a private school is not staying in touch with the family and with the child, they place themselves at risk that they'll lose that child the coming year. I think they just simply have a very big, powerful vested interest in making contact because there's no reason why that child has to come back to that school if they don't think that school is really concerned about the child's instruction. Uh, but then that makes me concerned about, are, are the district schools really concerned about the education of the children at their school? Or is there some other reason why they weren't in as regular a contact? Well, I agree with you that private schools and charter schools have particularly strong incentives to stay in contact uh, with the families that they serve. I'm not sure that I would attribute the less robust response on the part of the district sector entirely to a lack of concern with their students' well-being. I think there are a lot of constraints on the ability of a large bureaucratic organization to make the type of pivot that was required of schools uh, in the midst of this pandemic. And, well, that, uh, yeah, okay. and so I think I would pay attention to those constraints as much as I would uh, a lack of concern. Well, that's fair enough, but you could also say they have more resources because they, it, it, one of the things you had to do is you had to make sure that you got computers out to people, you had to get, um, Wi-Fi. I mean, there's just an awful lot of infrastructure that has to be built and a large organization may already have that infrastructure or can put that infrastructure into place more quickly than lots of little entities like private schools, little private schools or little charter schools. In fact, I heard somebody in the charter school sector saying, I'm not sure we could keep up with the, the big city school systems because we don't have all their resources. So, um, yeah, but the private schools and the charter schools, in most cases, don't have to renegotiate labor agreements. They, uh, in order to change what's asked of teachers on a daily basis, um, and that's just one example of the type of constraint uh, that's built into the organization that I think uh, may have hindered the ability of districts to make this unprecedented switch. So Marty, another interesting thing here is the differentiation by race and ethnicity that we find in our data that I, I just find puzzling and certainly surprising. And that is we find that there's more interaction with the teachers on the part of African-American and Hispanic-American uh, children as reported by their parents than is the case for white children. And all these questions that we've been talking about here, the minority community looks like they're getting a better educational experience out of it. That is the case. We find that uh, Hispanic and black parents, for example, report their children putting in longer hours on a daily basis. So we find Hispanic parents reporting children working 3.9 hours uh, each day, black parents reporting their children working 4.3 hours each day, that falls to 3.1 hours for white parents. We see black and Hispanic parents reporting more frequent interaction with teachers. Um, and black and Hispanic parents also, to come back to the bottom line question of, do you think your child learned more or less? They are less likely to report that the child learned less than were white parents. Uh, you also see that same differential with respect to income. So. 
Uh, you know, I think most of the commentary on how the pandemic has affected American students has rightly focused on the disproportionate impact on Black and Hispanic communities, on low-income communities who may not be as well positioned, who have borne the brunt of the pandemic itself. Uh, but I think we see signs in our data that educators and parents are really making efforts in order to compensate to offset some of that disparate impact. You see that coming through even in how parents are perceiving their children's progress. Well, that is all encouraging. I mean, it's extraordinarily encouraging, but do you think these parental reports, can they be taken at face value? Are they, is, are, are parents in the minority community expecting less or are imagining the schools are doing better than they really are? Uh, maybe they're just giving the schools the benefit of the doubt. It could be the case, though uh, it is not the case that Black and Hispanic families in general offer more positive assessments of their local schools. It doesn't seem to me that they would be any more inclined to give their schools the benefit of the doubt. Uh, so I'm not, based on our data of what parents perceive, predicting that there won't in fact be a widening of achievement gaps as a result of the pandemic. Uh, but I do think there are uh, hints of uh, steps that are being taken by educators, by parents, by the schools that serve uh, low-income students and students of color to offset uh, that disparate impact. Well, that is definitely what we uh, would hope. And uh, it's encouraging to actually have some hard data that suggests that this might, in fact, be happening. So what have I missed here, Marty? There's so much in this poll that I'm sure I've overlooked a key finding or two that uh, needs to be emphasized before we pass on to the, uh, our next poll, which we will be releasing in August. Uh, but what have I missed from this poll, would you say? So I don't think you've missed anything, Paul. I'm not sure, though, that, that we've resolved the question that you asked at the start. Is the glass half full? Is the glass half empty? We see parents both reporting high levels of satisfaction and reporting high levels of student learning loss, which do we foreground and which we, do we put in the background? Um, I think when we return to that question, having looked at what parents report their children experiencing over the course of the school closures, I come to the conclusion that uh, it is likely that there has been a lot of lost ground, that parents may be being generous in their assessment of what schools were able to do in the face of this unprecedented challenge, but that we need to be prepared for students to have lost ground relative to where they would have been otherwise. And we uh, need to do everything possible that we can to have as many students in schools, of course, addressing safety concerns and taking that seriously, uh, but as many students in schools as possible come this fall. Well, yeah, that's a very uh, good uh, summary statement. I, I do think that, uh, to me, these results um, 
suggest we really do need to open those schools if we possibly can this fall, uh, because uh, there's, to me, the, the bottom line finding is that parents and teachers are in agreement that there was less learning when the schools closed. It's hard to believe that that's not an accurate account of what did in fact happen. And therefore, it is almost certain that that loss of learning will take place in the future unless we can get our schools fully opened and operating in the way they once were. And so we all need to work towards that end as much as we can. Couldn't agree more. Well, thank you, Marty, for joining me on the Education Exchange. I've been speaking with Martin West, the William Henry Bloomberg Professor of Education at the Harvard Graduate School of Education and Editor-in-Chief of Education Next, and the leader of the Education Next poll, which was administered in May. And the rest of the results from this poll will be emerging later this summer. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. We release a new podcast on the Education Next website every Monday at noon. Thank you for joining me early on Wednesday so that we could come out with a report on and discussion of the poll uh, on the same day it's being released. Thank you.